The Road to Rock podcast. Welcome to season two of The Road to Rock podcast. I'm Elisa Marsden, and this is the podcast that goes behind the scenes of the rock music industry. This podcast was started back in the first wave of the COVID-19 pandemic in 2020. I wanted to see how the rock music industry was being affected by the pandemic. In this podcast, I chat with bands, artists, managers, producers, festival owners and music venues to hear their stories and find out how the rock music world has been affected. This week, we're kicking off season two of The Road to Rock with Ricky Warwick from Black Star Riders. Ricky has an impressive musical CV under his belt, from his time in New Model Army and The Almighty, to his solo work with Ricky Warwick and The Fighting Hearts. In 2010, Ricky got the call to front legendary rock band Thin Lizzy, which then led on to the formation of Black Star Riders in 2012. In the run-up to St. Patrick's Day, I caught up with Ricky to talk about what happened when he got the Thin Lizzy call, the work that's gone into his new album, When Life Was Hard and Fast, and about his friendship with Def Leppard frontman Joe Elliott. The Road to Rock So first of all, I'm going to say a huge congratulations on the amazing chart thank you. numbers that oh, thank you. you have received this week. This is such great news for you. It's great, thank you. Yeah, it's the most, uh, I, I guess... If you want to judge it in terms of success, it's definitely the, the my highest performing solo record I've put out so far, which is nice after 20 years of putting out solo records. <laughs> There's 21 songs on there. This is like a really hefty record. That is a lot of work. Yeah, I mean, you know, they went all the album, the main body of the album, When Life Is Hard and Fast, was recorded back in 2019. The stairwell troubadour stuff, the bonus cover versions, they were recorded way back in 2014. They were they were something I did for a pledge campaign many years ago and just added them as the bonus disc. But look, I you know, I like to give value value for money, you know. I I, I think people appreciate it. Definitely. I think in this whole pandemic lockdown, I think you might be one of the hardest working artists I have seen on the internet. Literally every week there's someone <laughs> doing something. Thanks, Elisa. Thank you. Where do you get your hard working ethic from? Where's it rooted from? I think it comes from my father. You know, I think watching him be. My, I grew up on a farm, in a really small farm just outside Belfast, but then we moved to Scotland when I was, was 14. You know, that was my path. I was going to be a farmer. That's what I left school when I was 15. I came home. I worked on the farm until, until music took off. But my, my, my father was as passionate about farming as I am about music. And he was a great farmer. He wasn't a very good businessman because we were always broke. But he was, a, he, he was just really, really passionate about farming. And I just, that was infectious, you know. And, and I think that he always instilled in me that if you want anything, you have to work for it. And he was my biggest supporter because I'm, I'm the only son. So I was the one to carry on the war tradition of the farm. So he could have very well said, give that music malarkey up. You're a farmer. You've got to keep this thing that's been going for hundreds of years. You're, you're the final war son that, you know, yeah. total, total opposite. He, you know, he pushed me, he says, you know, it's a hard life. He says, if you can get out of this and you can be successful at being, being a musician, he was behind it the whole way, which was just a huge mark in the man. But he was very much like, if you, I want to see how, how badly you want it. If I see you relax, relaxing or not working hard enough at it, boom, you're back on the farm. So I think that there's, he was a huge influence on me um, the whole way through my career, you know, right up until he passed away. And, you know, I, it's great because he passed away about five years ago and he even outdid me at his funeral. So, uh, you know, that's how much a rock and roll my old man was. So when he, he, he chose to be cremated and he was a humanist at the end, he became a humanist, which was great, you know? So, um, the coffin's going in, it's going into the flames. 
and he demanded that "Free and Easy" by the Almighty be played as the no. as, a, as a thing. Yeah, because that was his favorite song. He goes, he goes, Richard, it's the only effing song you've ever written. You know, he was so you know he he just always kept my feet on the ground. I just thought you, you I was like, you bastard, you be, even in death, you you did me on a rock and roll stage. You know, t- laughing and tears streaming down my face at the same time. Just. Just a brilliant guy and my biggest influence by Miles. Oh, did he come to your shows? He must have seen you perform. Oh, absolutely, yeah, absolutely, you know, and everybody loved him. My dad was just a really sociable person and he'd come to our shows and, and, and drink most of our backstage rider. You know, I, I, when we did Donington with the Almighty, I flew him down. I think it was his 62nd birthday that year. And he, I didn't see him. You know, and I, I, you know we, we do our thing, we're playing, and about three hours later, he comes staggering with his arms around Rachel Bolden from Skid Row, both of them completely <laughs> hammered, you know, like best pals. My dad always was one of those guys that wore the suit, the tie and dressed, you know. And even to this day, Rachel and I are really good friends. Rachel just, every time we see each other, he just goes, oh man, the laugh I had with your dad that day was just incredible. Yeah, and it just shows you the guy he was, you know. He just was like, he was just really cool, you know. That's amazing. Thank you. So this this whole pandemic, this lockdown, it's been so crazy. You've been doing shows on Stage It. Yeah. Live stream shows, connecting with the fans. And this has seen you really go back to your roots in some ways. You've been doing almighty shows. You've got this St. Patrick's yeah. lockdown coming, which I can only imagine is going to be a real knees up. Do you think <laughs> this pandemic has kind of turned you into a better musician because you've had to go to places you've never before? You know, that's a great question. And absolutely, yes. Yes. I mean, I've, like everybody else, when we all went into lockdown and it was all starting, um, it was scary. You know, we were all scared. We didn't know what to do. And, and I was no different. You know, suddenly I, I have this thing where I'm playing a hundred shows a year, my main source of income. And somebody's got that carpet and just pulled it away from you. It's something, I, you know, whether you take it for granted or not, it was always there. I knew what I was going to be doing for the next two years. I was going to be on tour. I knew, you know, the whole thing. And suddenly that was gone. I was like, everybody else, what the, what the hell am I going to do? And once I sort of accepted that it's bigger than any of us and we got no control over, I was like, okay, how do I, how do I turn this into some kind of positive? I'm going to be stuck at home. You know, when I'm home, I'm, I, so I'm going to write more. I'm going to play guitar more. Then I tr- started checking out the online shows. And I waited a couple of months. You know, a lot of people were like, okay, we can do Facebook Live. And I sort of waited to see what platforms came up. And the stage at platform came along to me online. And I loved it because it's like doing a real show online. You sell tickets, you do online flyers, you talk the show up, you do supporters incentives. And you can build the anticipation up to the show. And that really, really appealed to me. I think it was last May I did my first one. And the first one I did, I just I opened the MacBook and sang into the camera and the mic. And But, you know, now it's like, you know, I've, I've invested in cameras and sound equipment. And I've got really, I'm really, really into it now, you know, just as you do. And it's been a godsend, not just financially, but just psychologically, mentally, giving me something to focus on. Like you said, I've gone back and revisited some Almighty stuff, some Almighty songs I've never played before, which has been been wonderful to do that. Some Almighty songs I would never dream of playing on acoustic guitar. I've been playing. Um, I've been I've learned so many new songs. I've learned so many old songs. So I think as as a musician, as a as a guitar player and a performer and a vocalist, it's helped me immeasurably. I really do. I think you'll carry it on once things get back to normal. Yeah, I think it's kind of the new normal. Listen, it, look, it's never going to replace live shows. Nothing ever will. It just it just isn't the same. Of course it isn't. But who's to say, you know, when we're out in a row with Black Star Riders, we can't suddenly now flip open the, the, the laptop and do a little acoustic show from the dressing room for half an hour. Me and the guy, here we are waiting to go on stage. We've got an hour to kill. Do you want to hear some acoustic songs? Boom. You know, that's great. And 
I might do the odd show. I might just do, you know, I'm, I'm home for a couple of months. I'm going to do a show for, cause it's fun, you know? And I think that's what, to me, that's where it'll fit in. I'll not put a stop to it completely, but I think obviously once we get back to playing live, there'll be less need for it, but it'll definitely be the odd show. I'm sure online. Why not? You know, reach those fans that not necessarily can make your shows as well. That's it. You know, that's great. Not everybody can travel or, or not everybody can afford it to travel and then buy a ticket for a full live show and a t-shirt and, if you drink, you know, it, it, it adds up. I get it. So for four pounds, you can get to see BSR playing BSR songs acoustically backstage. Great. You're on to a yeah. winner. Yeah. January 2020, we read that you were hospitalized. Yeah. Do you think that was COVID? Early signs of? No, and I did for a long time. Um, they diagnosed pleurisy and, and pneumonia. And then they, they had me on all, like, all different kinds. Of, I, I never really got a definitive answer. This is what you had. This is why you were, were sick. I've never been that ill in my life. I've never been in hospital in my life before. You know, I'm a, I'm a pretty pretty healthy guy. I mean, I run and, and I box and I do all kinds of stuff to try and stop getting old. And um, so it hit me like a freight train. It just floored me, and and it was it was bad for a day or two there. You know, I, I'm, I'll be honest. It was certainly it was one day in there. I was like, this isn't good. You know, I'm not I'm not digging this. You know, yeah. this is weird. And they couldn't really, they said it was pleurisy, but I didn't get a different advance. So for after that, I thought maybe I had COVID because I had been traveling right up to right before then. But, uh, you know, I did the antibody test. I've had two antibody tests and they both came back negative. I've had a bunch of COVID tests that thankfully have all come back negative. So maybe, maybe it was just pleurisy pneumonia. And it, it was scary. It was, it was, it was a real shit start to the year, obviously, because I went in on New Year's Day. It was like, great, happy new year. Boom, you're in hospital. <laughs> um, and, yeah, and I literally got over that and COVID struck. So I, I was really worried. I had to be a little bit extra careful because of the lung issue when COVID first started. Yeah. You know, and then, my, and then my mom passed away and I couldn't go back for the funeral because of COVID. So my mom's in Scotland. So I'm here in LA. And and it was just like, yeah, 2020, I, I, I see what you're at. I see where you're going with this. Okay, you bastard, yeah. right? That's, that's how you want to play it. All right, game on. You know what I mean? So, but just like, wow, what a crazy start to the year. Just weird, you know? I know. So this album, When Life Was Hard and Fast, you've got family members on there. You have got <laughs> the manager on there. You've got close friends on there as well. Right. When did you start writing it and putting it all together? We started writing it. Keith Nelson and I, I, st I mean, I write all the time. So it, really it was me going to Keith, go, I get 30 ideas. Will you, Keith Nelson, obviously Cobra just didn't co-wrote the songs, mate. Will you help me? Finish writing these. Well, let's co-produce the record. That was 2018. So we started doing demos in 2018. Literally, when I come back off the road for Black Star Riders, we'd go in and we'd work on demos. And then in 2019, we got the songs down to the 11 songs that are on the record and went into the studio here in, in West Hollywood and cut the record in April 2019. And everybody was up for getting involved. How did you get some, your daughter for a start, Peppa? That's one of my favorite songs. She was a hard, thank you. She was the hardest person to get involved. I bet everybody. she That's was. A, yeah, yeah. She was like, oh, really? No, oh God, you're so embarrassing. You want me to sing in your record? Yeah, she's at, at that age. Um, they're all friends, you know, I'm so blessed. These are all friendships forged in 30 years of rock and roll. And we've either, we've worked together previously I've sang on, or played on some of their stuff and vice versa. And they're just my buddies. You know, the people that these are people that I contact with on a regular basis. And, and they just happen to be insanely talented musicians, very successful musicians. And I'm a big fan of what they do. So the beauty of doing the solo record is there's no rules and there's, you're not going to piss anybody off in your band by having somebody else come in and play a guitar solo or, or a vocal track or something like that. So 
it's the opportunity to reach out. And, you know, I did. I mean, I just with Joe Elliott. Joe's been such a good friend of mine for so many years. And, you know, he's a real, um, real confidant and, and I really value his opinion. So I'm always, even when I'm w- working on anything, I'm always sending Joe stuff going, what do you think? You know, because, hey, you can't argue with a guy that sold 120 million records, right? Exactly. <laughs> How did your friendship with Joe come about? Because it goes way back now. You know, I first met Joe. It's a great story. There's a lot of stuff with Joe is because we always just we've been in some we've been in some incredible situations over the years. It's been brilliant. I moved back to Ireland. I moved to Dublin in 1996 when the Almighty split up and uh, started this little punk band called Sick that I was in for a while. And we used to rehearse in this facility called the Factory in Dublin. And I used I lived I had an apartment just around the corner from it, and we were in there pretty much every day. And it was a great facility. And the, the big room in there, hired out by David Bowie, he was in there working and writing on an album with his band. So this is like 1996. And being the amazing human being that, that Bowie is, he wanted to put on a show at the end of his stay there. So he gave free tickets to every band and everybody that worked in the facility. He's like, I'm doing a show in the big room, free bar. Wow. Free, the whole thing, right? So we're just like, oh, this is amazing, you know? And of course, all the Dublin Illuminati were there, like you 2 were there and, you know, the whole thing. So we go to the show and it's incredible. And I'm just standing at the bar and the tap on the shoulder and I think it's one of my mates and I'm waiting to get the beer and I turn around and it's Joel and he goes Ricky Warwick the almighty and I went yeah I went Joel he goes I love your band and I went I went your band's okay you know, <laughs> you know, you know trying, trying to be cool and he he came over and talked to me which blew my mind and we just started talking and right away you know conversation turned to football and to, to music and he literally said to me look there's a game on Friday night uh, why don't you come up to the house here's my number We'll get a few beers. What do you like Chinese food? And I'm like, okay, exchange numbers and watch the boy gig. And then thinking, that's it. He's not going to phone me. Of course he's not, you know, blah, blah, blah. Next day, you know, what kind of Chinese food do you want? Come up and make sure you're up at the house about seven o'clock. Here's the address. Wow. And that was it. And then we just became sort of, you know, besties, I guess, straight away after that. And, you know, my whole time I was in Dublin, Joe helped me enormously about getting my own solo career off the ground. And, um, I was struggling for a little bit at that time with, with various things going on. Joe was just a great friend to me and a great ally and a great supporter. And still is. Wow. Yeah. It's nice to know there's people like that in the music industry because you can see the other side of it as well, which is very sure. different. Yeah, but the assholes always get the comeuppance, you know. I mean, I believe in karma and, and there's a lot of people that are like Joe in the music industry, I'm, I'm, I'm happy to say. And they're the, the reason that I love what I do is because there's so many people like that. You know, you, there's assholes and everything that you do in life, and people feel sometimes feel the need to be negative and put other people down, and you know, rip you off and all that kind of shenanigans. Um, but it's just like you know, I'm just like, yeah, you know, have at it. There's no happiness down that road. Keep going down that road because you know what, at the end of it, it's a dead fucking end. You know what I mean? Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Um, can we talk about your time in Thin Lizzy really quickly? Absolutely. Yeah. Where were you when you got the phone call to be asked okay. to join? What was going on with you? I was right here in this house, and it was um, it was eleven years ago, uh, January twenty ten, and Scott Gorham called me up, and you know I I'd, I'd known Scott for a long time. Scott played my first solo record, and he I just thought he was calling me up just to just to chat, you know, as as we did sometimes. And we got the pleasantries out of the way, and he just went, "I'm putting Finn Lizzie back together. I think you're the guy to front the band. Do you want to do it?" And it's simple as that. And I was just like, uh, "Yeah." And and then I talked to him a little bit more about what what he wanted to to sort of achieve with the, the new version of the band. Put the phone down and just went, oh shit, what have I done? Yeah. What have I done? What have I done? What have, what have I just agreed to do? You know, 
And um, that's when the all the emotions kicked in. Excitement, fear, trepidation. Am I doing the right thing? Is this right? Um, have I just you know shot myself in the foot here? How am I going to pull this off? All that kicked in. But I always had a, you know, I said to, to my wife, and she just said to me, if it ever feels wrong for one second, just just don't do it. You know, just, just, and I said, yeah. I, mean, I always had a feeling in my gut that I could do Phil's songs some kind of justice. Right. So I had confidence that I could deliver them with, with a soul and a passion that would, that would do the songs justice. I never for once, one second thought, I'm the lead singer of Thin Lizzy. I'm standing in Phil Lynott's shoes because Phil Lynott's the lead singer of Thin Lizzy. He still is and he always will be. I'm not. I'm not the lead singer of Thin Lizzy. I just get to look after those songs, which is amazing. You know, that's that's all I get to do. I get to look after the songs he wrote with the boys and play them live to people that haven't obviously haven't seen Lizzy for 40 years because of everything that's gone on. Or, or people that never got the chance to see Lizzy because they were too young or people now that will go back and discover those Lizzy records with Phil on and go, how amazing they are. That's how I look at it. Because they're my favorite band of all time. And they still are. That hasn't changed. I, I was a little bit worried that because I would be in the band, it would change how I perceived. It's just as strong as ever was from when I was 13 years old. It hasn't changed a thing because I still close my eyes. I see Lizzie with Phil and that's the way everybody should see Thin Lizzie. Do you remember your first show with them? How did you prepare? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I imagine. What, what kind of question is that? Of course you do. How did you prepare? And just as you got on stage, what happens? Um, yeah, I mean, it was, in, it was insane. It was Aberdeen Music Hall in Scotland. And the good thing about it was I had, from when Scott asked me, I had about 10, 11 months to prepare. So I, I, I had the, all that time to rehearse. And for those 10 months, I, I listened to nothing but Thin Lizzy. I wouldn't listen to new music. I wouldn't, I was just, I was immersed in Thin Lizzy. There was lyric sheets stuck all over the house. It was on the fridge. You know, my, my, my youngest daughter, Pepper, who sings on the record, was like a toddler. I was taking her to daycare. We were singing the songs in the way in the car. You know, it was just Lizzy, Lizzy, Lizzy. So I knew that when we got on stage that first time that I just knew it. I knew those lyrics inside out. So I knew I was well prepared. But then, you know, I'm sitting in the dressing room. I'm just, I just remember watching the clock going around and getting closer to stage time and just going, and then, you know, what am I doing? They're going to kill me. Why, why did I agree to do this? I hate you, Scott Gorham, you know, but you know, you know, I and really started to get, and then the next thing I know we're, we're on stage and the way the, that tour started, there was a huge curtain kabuki thing and we'd stand there and the entertainment would play and then we'd start with, are you ready? And the, the kabuki would fall and we, and I'm standing there on the, on the sort of riser and Scott's to my left and my legs are shaking. My knees are going, you know, and Scott just kind of looks over and he goes, you'll be okay, bud. And I, I mentioned him, I wanted to punch him. I wanted to just go, I just wanted to punch him in the face and go, dare you talk me into doing this? How dare you make me? And, and then boom, the curtain's done and we're off. And, and that was it, you know? Wow. Yeah. After everything you've done, Thin Lizzy, Black Star Riders, The Almighty, The Fighting Hearts, what are you most proud of so far? It's hard to pick one. I think the thing that the catalyst to all this and me being here talking to you is the first thing I was, band I was in was New Model Army when I was I was a guitar player for them and that was my first seeing the world and touring as a, as a rhythm guitar player but starting the almighty and getting the almighty out of Straven in Scotland you know sitting in, in, in the little pub there called the Weavers in Straven with the guys and planning world domination and and that happening and, that, and then coming in there and seeing your discs on the wall of the pub or newspaper cutting you, you know that was to achieve that because people were, a lot of people support, but a lot of people were like, yeah, I'll never get anywhere. 
course you won't. It's never going to happen. As you get in small town life, there's a lot of naysayers. You know, you got the Barstow preachers, you know, that were like, yeah, you're rubbish, your man's rubbish, you're gonna, you'll never get anywhere. And I still get that. When I go back there now, I still get people, your man's rubbish. And they kind of go, okay, do you want a drink? <laughs> 35 years later, it's like, yeah, yeah, I know. I'll, never, I'll get a real job tomorrow. No problem. Here, have a bite. So I think that sense of achievement, because that snowballed then everything that begat after that. Okay. Yeah. And finally, my last question for you. On the album, When Life Was Hard and Fast, what three songs are your personal favourites that you think everyone should listen to that mean so much to you? Well, time don't seem to matter because of Pepper being on there and what it means to me as a father to have my daughter on there is probably the one of my greatest moments ever in songwriting and just being in the studio and, and seeing her sing on that. So that's an obvious choice. I think the title track sums up the album really well. Um, and I'm really proud of the song. I'm, I'm, I don't feel at home. Okay. I really like the way that, that song came out. And Has Pepper seen how well this album has done in the charts? She doesn't care. <laughs> She's more. She's more interested. She's more interested in how Billie Eilish is doing the charts. I mean, she, she's she's thirteen. You know, I went into her and I was like, "You're number thirty-one and you're number three. And she's like, oh, "Okay, yeah, whatever." We go to Starbucks, and she's like, "You know, she's just she's at that age that we all were. Where your parents are really on cool, no matter who they are, and we're on cool at the minute." I've tried to get her. I said, "She plays ukulele, great." And I said, "Let's do a video. Let's do the song together. Let's put it up there. People will love it." No way. No way. My friends will see it. I'm not doing it. You know what you need to do. <laughs> duet with Billie Eilish that's what you then she'll be that, that, oh, oh man it should be all about <laughs> it, all over it yeah exactly The Road to Rock thank you to Ricky for joining me on The Road to Rock his album When Life Was Hard and Fast is out now if you've missed any episodes or want to listen again go to theroadtorock.com and follow us on social media for updates Facebook Instagram and Twitter under The Road to Rock don't forget to tune in to the Road to Rock radio show this Wednesday at 9pm on Hot Radio. Listen online at hot.radio or on FM 102.8 and DAB across the south coast of England. 